0: Hi, it's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood. Welcome to September Atoms. Some of you will receive this edition on holiday. Some of you will have had to delay long yearned for breaks after your children's schools have gingerly put their toes back in the lockdown twilight era. But rather than dwell on pandemic-related uncertainty with which we've all been living for several months, let's briefly put the microscope elsewhere. Biliratresia. Despite repeated emphasis of the potential implications of prolonged conjugated hyperbilirubinemia and the importance of stool color, rates of late-detected biliary atresia in high income countries have remained effectively static, untreated acquired biliary atresia leads to liver failure and death. Early palliative surgery in the form of the time honored Kasai procedure prolongs transplant free survival by years though the traditional, rather arbitrary two-month cut-off of the procedure is now widely felt to be rather too relaxed. The clinical assessment approach, in short, is alone insufficient and improved screening embedded into national programmes is the only real alternative. There are two screening options. Parental reporting of stool colour, which has had considerable success in Japan and Taiwan, and the incorporation of conjugated bilirubin analysis and a newborn blood spot screen. Chen Sheng's analysis of comparative rates of detection in Shenzhen, China, in the two years before and after the introduction of the school screening chart, provides evidence for effectiveness of this simple parent-reported method. Age at Kassai fell from mean 81 to 56 days, and transplant-free survival at two years rose from 44% to 52%. Patrick McKeon's editorial puts the findings into perspective and argues the case for and there's already some approach data from the US, advantages of the NBS approach. Whichever, and this is setting of dependent, is adopted, the days of the primary care referral, secondary care assessment pathway are now as obsolete as the perennially contaminated bag urine samples once considered to be useful. Hospital care guidelines. Trevor Duke chronicles the history of the WHO Paediatric Hospital Care Guidelines, an initiative that began only 15 years ago after the Seminal Guidance for Acute Malnutrition and Infection, which itself was based on an adaptation for secondary care of the Integrated Management of the Childhood Illness IMCI Guidelines, launched in the mid-1990s for primary care, which has philosophically at least survived the rigours of time. What then should we expect of the new guidance? Adolescent health, chronic disease, refinements in the management of HIV and TB, according to resistance patterns, and likely 2013, predecessor, regional adaptation, or something else. Antimicrobial stewardship, Vietnamese experience. Pneumonia is a syndromal diagnosis, defined by the WHO as a constellation of signs, primarily age-adjusted respiratory rate. In the latest classification, 2014, there are only two real phenotypes, fast breathing, which can be without or with in chest in drawing, and fast breathing with danger signs, for example, lethargy, convulsions, hypoxia. The treatment of the former, oral amoxicillin for three to five days, depending on chest in drawing or not, and the latter, much rarer, admission and parental treatment. Fuang Nguyen and colleagues' analysis of antibiotic prescribing practice non-severe pneumonia in Da Nang, Vietnam, makes two highly important observations about rates of antibiotic resistance and avoidable hospitalisation. Of nearly 3,000 children admitted with pneumonia, 94% were classified as non-severe. Of these, 12% received IV antibiotic treatment, accounting for 68% of parenteral courses. In keeping with other Southeast Asian countries, one driver is socioeconomic, as young children's hospital care is funded centrally, so admission paradoxically cheaper both for the parents and more remunerative for the hospitals themselves. Primary ciliary dyskinesia. Far from being the benign entity it is often perceived to be, PCT results in suppurative lung disease, chronic otitis media, deafness, sinusitis and infertility. Those without the classic early clue, situs inversus, are picked up later and often not diagnosed until school age. Bruno Rubo and colleagues' analysis of four PCD centres comparing respiratory function in children with cystic fibrosis in England is salutary, with mean standard deviation FEV1 scores for children with PCD significantly lower than their CF counterparts. Meningococcal vaccination. The gestation of meningococcal B vaccination was, for primarily immunological reasons, a long and complicated one, completed decades after effective immunizations for types A, C, W, and Y were developed and introduced. It was finally licensed in the UK in 2013 and introduced into the primary vaccination programme in 2015. Though the trial evidence was promising, Catherine Isidt's paper of real-life experience since describes how it has surpassed expectations in terms of the reduction of incidence of invasive meningococcal B disease. So what else has been learned in the years since? Well, that a number of children with developed post-vaccine fever, which might result in acute referral as a reaction cannot be discriminated from invasive infection, but the prophylaxis with paracetamol does not impede immunogenicity. There are questions left. Do children with non-response need immunological investigation? How can adolescent cover be improved? Does B vaccine prevent invasive disease from other serotypes? So, some unanswered questions, but we've come a long way. I hope you enjoy these papers and everything else in store in this month's issue. Check it all out on the website, adc.bnj.com and enjoy. Have a good holiday. See you next time. Bye for now.